I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 20. The only podcast for brokers, by brokers. I Love Mortgage Brokering will inspire you to up your mortgage business. Join your host, Scott Peckford. Hi, Broker Nation. I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Dustin Woodhouse. Dustin is a mortgage broker with Canadian Mortgage Experts DLC. He's been a broker for six years and is based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. He's a number 16 broker in CMP Magazine's Top 75. He's always keen to share his knowledge with our industry, and I'm absolutely stoked about this interview today. How are you doing today, Dustin? Not too bad. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Cool. We were talking a little bit off the air, and I said, look, we got to get this thing going because you're sharing so much good stuff. I want to I want everybody to be able to hear it. So I always like to start off, though, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your business. Uh, well, I've been in the business six years, and uh, I have one full-time assistant. Uh, like most people, I waited a little too long to bring that assistant into the picture. Um, she is a licensed broker and uh, a little bit of a workaholic, much like myself. So it's, uh, it's been a great fit. That's been about four, four, four and a half years now that uh, she's been working with me. So it's in six years, you've really like hit the ground running because I can, you know, most of the people that are in the top uh, brokers, at least what I've seen, they've, they've probably got 10 year, 10 plus years under their belt. So how, how did you kind of, where did you come from to what, what do you think it's some of your background that did that or what, what made you get so fast, so big, so fast? Well, no, I mean, my, not not specifically my background. Uh, my background was in running a mail-order, high-performance automotive parts business focused on Volkswagens and Audis. So not really a, a direct connection to the mortgage business at all. But I've always had a really aggressive work ethic and uh, been a big proponent and believer in the 80-hour work week. And uh, it's as simple in my mind as if I work 80 hours at being good at something week after week after week, how can I not wind up good at it? Like it's, it's, you got to get results from that kind of effort. So throwing a massive amount of focused quality hours at something, uh, that's always been the way I've approached things and uh, it was no different with brokering. Right. So you're not a big fan of the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss? <laughs> Love the book. I love the Four Hour Body, the Four Hour Chef. Uh, yeah, all all great, uh, great books. And uh, he's also got a podcast going. I think now that I, I just started listening to the first couple of. Um, but yeah, you know, the Four Hour Work Week is great because I'm the kind of guy who reads a book like the Four Hour Work Week. Okay, so there's how you pack 40 hours worth of work into four hours. Awesome. So if I do an 80 hour work week with that kind of focus. How productive is that going to be? Right, and I'm actually I'm I'm convinced he works more than four hours a week too. So I think it's it was partially a marketing thing, and maybe there was a very brief period of time where he maybe you know worked four hours a week. But I don't think that's the case anymore with even creating blog posts that he does. I mean, you can't do the produce the content he produces in the time that in four hours a week. No, but it's a great uh, it's a great thing to aspire to. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So. I always like to begin every interview with a success quote, a quote that's kind of impacted your life or business. So can you share with us a quote that's really impacted you? Um, yeah, and it actually, I kind of thought it was something my grandpa had always come up with because I know he was one that used to throw it out there. Uh, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. It was actually Thomas Edison who said that apparently. Yeah, I've heard that quote before. I love that quote. And uh, a recurring theme that I've noticed in these interviews is that the really successful brokers, there's, they have, they're not afraid of hard work. And so uh, you'd said that when you first started, 
to, to I always like to ask how you applied this quote, but when you first started, you're putting in 80 hours a week. Are you still doing 80 hours a week or what's sort of your, what's your rhythm like right now? I tracked my hours very specifically in 2013. I know I've not deviated really a whole lot from the schedule I was working last year. Last year, it was 3,696 hours. So it wasn't 80 hours a week. It was 71.7. And um, yeah, I'm not the guy you're going to interview about uh, balance. I'm not going to talk to you about working 40 hours and time blocking and that sort of thing. That's that's not been my forte. It's it's probably my my weakness. I'm an unrepentant workaholic, and uh, they say the first step in fixing a problem is realizing you have one. Well, I've realized it years ago, and the 80-hour work week is great in short bursts for a lot of people, and certainly for a brand-new broker to put that kind of, again, focused hours in. I'm not talking about sitting at a desk 16 hours a day twiddling your thumbs or, you know, surfing YouTube or playing, you know, Minecraft or something. I mean, attending every real estate related event, you know, reading every real estate related publication, blog, book that you can get your hands on, you know, that kind of focus for a year or two will absolutely launch your business. The challenge then is, of course, dialing it back because it does become a little bit addictive. Mm-hmm. It's very hard after answering every call, every email, every text as quickly as they come in, it becomes really hard to drop that level of service mm-hmm. because the other challenge with it is you attract other workaholics to you. So next thing you know, the realtors, the financial planners, the referral sources you're working with, they work at that same level and we all tend to expect the same we expect to be treated as we treat others, right? Right. Yeah. You. You. I, I said to a friend the other day, we're constantly training people how to treat us, and so if you obviously are, you're quick and you're on the ball, then the people that are the same way are going to be like, dude, you got to work with this guy because he's going to take care of it, and then you, you end up with a whole bunch of a stable of realtors and referral sources that are that way. But it's not a bad thing because obviously it works, and and work is not a work is not a bad thing. Work is good. No, but I would I would qualify my my 80 hour work week comment this way at this point based on what I've learned. I would say to somebody who's brand new starting out, yeah, you need to put in huge hours and huge effort, but as far as making yourself available to clients, that you need to box into a specific zone. You know, I'm available from 8 till 8, Monday to Friday. Period. Something like that, and maybe you're still putting another 10 or 20 hours in on top of that, but you're doing focused work without the distraction of having to respond to calls and emails and that sort of thing. I've taken to using an out-of-office alert on the weekends because uh, that's a me thing. I put an out-of-office alert in every weekend, and it basically says I'm, I'm still... I will review and respond to every email no later than 8 a.m. Monday morning. So by the time they wake up Monday morning, basically, they'll have an answer to their question. Although I include my phone number, if it's truly urgent, call me. My phone will be on. I maybe get one phone call over the course of a weekend. Mm -hmm. And you're working on a lot of files. And I do still tend to respond to a lot of those emails through the weekend. 
Right. Okay. That's that's a really good way to to frame that the the eighty hour work week. So one of the other things. Oh, the other thing I like to talk about is failure. So I know that me as a mortgage broker, as an entrepreneur, business owner, I have definitely made some mistakes over the years. And looking back, there's always a lesson, and I try to learn from them. And so, can you share an example of something that maybe you failed at, or something didn't work out the way you wanted, and then now and the lesson that you got from it? Yeah. You know, I would say. And, and it's, it's a timely question because um, last night, you know, heading home uh, and this morning when I first woke up, I had the same file in my brain. And it's a file whose time has passed. It was a purchase. It closed yesterday. I lost it three business days before completion. So everything was done significant amount of hours invested set up at the lawyer's office and it it made a u-turn on me in the 11th hour and that doesn't happen very often but you know as i point out uh, a lot of times when we try and talk about our wins in the office um, but of course you can't help but talk about the ones like that where boy how did that go wrong how did that happen um trying to let those go. I, I, ha- I fail at letting those go as fast as I should. I let them take up too much real estate in my brain, too much of my energy, too much of my focus, um, especially the ones that just, there's nothing I could have done differently. You know, I mean, this one uh, file in particular, both applicants work for a major chartered bank. And they were offered something completely uncompetitive all through the process. They purchased 10 weeks ago and um, I was there for them at, you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night on Sunday evening uh, twice. And I really accommodated their schedule, first time buyers. So a lot of comprehensive uh, answers to, to many, many questions. And then in the 11th hour, their employer came to them and said, we will do this for you. And, put them in a position where they felt incredibly awkward not doing business with their own employer. It, it, it would have put them in a very tricky position. And and I respected that. And, you know, we, we broke up nicely and uh, they're absolutely planning on referring more business to me and, and I believe they will. Now, if that business is fellow employees, that's going to be a little trickier because I don't want to go through that experience again. But as I say, I know that I'm still going to keep replaying that file over and over and and I shouldn't I should just let that go and move on because we still had a banner month uh, we closed more successful transactions last month uh, than we have ever ever before in 6 years so focus on your wins learn a very quick lesson from your failure tweak your process if you need to and move forward. So with the, I'll just key in on this one particular deal you're talking about, because I agree with you. So you have a great month and, you know, you forget about the other 20 or whatever loans you had that went through fine. And then um, this one that kind of went sideways at the last minute. So was there anything specifically that you thinking, looking back now that you can make an adjustment to, or, I mean, you're dealing with somebody who works at a bank. I have clients that work at banks too, and it's always a little awkward because of the, you know that, you know, okay, well, anyway, it's an awkward situation. So is there anything specifically you can tweak? Well, I'm crafting an email to these clients. I'm, I'm going to ask a few specific questions. Um, I mean, as I say, lovely people, and I know they 
they felt horrible. It was a very hard phone call for them to make. Um, but I'm going to ask them specific questions. And what I'd like to be able to do is, you know, and, and I have worked with a half a dozen people out of the head office of this, this lender. And this is the first time this is it's gone this way. But I want to try and figure out what's changed and if there's some new person that is involved in the transaction at some point in head office, like when did they come into the picture and when did they come in this aggressively? And if I get a call from another person working in that head office in particular, but really in any head office, can I say to them, uh, how about I draft up a letter? And this is what I do for all my renewals. So here's a, a a piece of how I, my process with all my renewals, because lenders are so competitive on retention, not initially, of course, they send that crazy letter out with, you know, posted rates. Um, but once they know that the client's shopping around, very aggressive. So I'm wondering if with these sorts of purchase transactions, I can't apply the same principles I do to a, a renewal, which is to outline my process, uh, you know, you will not pay for an appraisal. There will be no, if it's a switch, there'd be no legal fees, et cetera. Outline those details clearly. And here are the rates of the day. And those rates, are, of course, are a collection of rates from sometimes three, four, five different lenders. But here are the best, you know, one, two, three, four, five and variable uh, rates. And, you know, take that down the hall to the person that's going to show up three days before completion and offer you a deal, take it to them now and, you know, work with them, work with them right out of the gates. And like I say, I do that with renewals. I mean, if you love something, set it free. Well, I love my clients, but I'm going to set them free because if it's only about rate, you know that the, the current lender they're with will nine times out of 10 match or beat any rate that you're going to be able to offer. So switching a client from one lender to another, sort of segueing a little bit, you can't make that happen based on rate. It's got to be based on a product feature, a service. There's, there's got to be some other thing in the equation. A strategy that rate, you'll almost certainly exactly you know, strategic planning, something we focus on. So I, I do make it about rate right up front. Here's the rates. And if the client is all about rate and their lender is all about rate, well, the two of them can go have a happy relationship right away. I've only invested 15, 20 minutes in the conversation. I've hopefully got all their details. I've put them into my you know, automated system, so I'm going to stay in touch with them moving forward. And hopefully they'll really appreciate what I just did for them. And so they may still turn into a quality referral source. You may still wind up dealing with them at the next renewal. You're keeping that relationship alive, but you're ending the process of the transaction up front. And, uh, and really, that's probably my biggest focus this year, is how can I lose deals as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like if it's going to go wrong, let's have it go wrong right away. Right. I think that'll be the title for this podcast. <laughs> that's that's, yeah, that's it's so anti. It's, it's anti what we would expect to hear, right? Like you, as a mortgage broker, it's like that sounds like sacrilegious. Uh, so that's awesome. That's, but it's not lose the client. Right. That's a really good. Oh, that's good. Yes. Yeah. 
gain clients, lose files. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm going to switch gears here and talk about process. Although we've already been talking about process, because I know this is what I love about this conversation already. But can you share a specific administrative process that you have in your office and how you tweet? Maybe wasn't working the way you want. How you tweaked it and what sort of outcome you got? Yeah, I've got one that just uh, bit us recently on three separate files. Um, and unfortunately, uh, one of them, it was an 11th hour thing. It triggered the process to be implemented across all existing files. And it, it basically killed two other files, but it killed them early in the game. And that is pulling a title search. Uh, real easy to get a Landcore account, uh, a BC online account, either or. Um, and pulling title searches is fantastic. You know, are, are all the applicants actually on title? You know, for a refinance or a switch, you you need to see that title. There's an, any number of things that can come up. Certificate of pending litigation, because it turns out they're actually in the middle of a divorce that they didn't tell you about. Um, you know, registry, registrations from the municipality, because the property had an illegal addition put on it that needs to be taken off. Well, lender won't lend on a property that's got title branded that way, and when, it's, when is that going to come up? That's going to come up at the lawyer's office. After you've done everything, that's not acceptable for the sake of 10 bucks or whatever it costs. I don't even know exactly what it costs for a title search. Um, it's, it's the best 10 bucks you could spend. Because again, it goes back to you know, losing that file before you put all that work into it. If you're going to lose it anyway, lose it fast. CRA arrears is another one that'll pop up. You know, you have CRA registered on there for $80,000 and you can only get 20,000 new money out there. And clients, you know, these are things sometimes deeply personal. They don't want to tell you about. And then there's also the things they just forget about, you know, the, uh, a, a deceased spouse from 10 years earlier, still on title. Uh, you you got to get that addressed. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's timing. So if you're if, if they're with a lender that does not renew into an open, and you don't have this come up until the eleventh hour, you might not have time to fix that, and still hang on to the file. Right. You well, you've convinced me. I know that off the air we were chatting about this briefly, and I was I was kind of griping about the fact that it cost ten bucks. But I've actually can think back over the last two months, and there's deals that have blown up because of this. And if I think about the time I spent in the, you know, phone calls and the meetings and just the, oh man, like 10 bucks is a deal for that to get all that time back. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, con- and, and I'm completely convinced and converted it, with your way of thinking. I will pull them from going forward. And I think it's a, I think it's a really good practice. And, and look, just full disclosure on this topic. I mean, the reason we had stopped was of course my direction. 150 files later, no issues, ah, you know, it's like 1500 bucks. Let's just stop pulling titles for a while. And, you know, 60 files later, boom, three. <laughs> right. So we're, we're back on that task and we're not going to deviate from it moving forward. That's awesome. That's really good advice. And so now I'm going to switch to sales process because I also noticed that um, successful brokers have a sales process. It's not just random and they don't just show up and hope for the best. And so you must have a sales process. Can you share an example of a part of your sales process that maybe wasn't working as well as you'd like and an adjustment you made and what kind of outcome you got? Yeah. You know, I, I remember 
somewhat vividly um, the phone call I was on with a client and it was like the clouds parted and the blue sky and sun came out and it was just amazing. Like the, the, it was a revelation and it was a client who, you know, it was probably my eighth, ninth deal in, into the business. So right, right in the very beginning, great time to learn this lesson too. And um, we're trying to, we're struggling to try and find a time to meet. And why are we struggling to try and find a time to meet? Why are we planning on meeting? Well, because the client asked to meet. So of course, you know, the client wants to meet, especially in the early days, I will meet you anywhere at any time because I'm super available. You know, that, that mm-hmm. you are because you don't have any other files you're working on. So you're, you're willing to do, you drive to the end of the earth to meet this client. But it just wasn't working timing-wise. And um, I said, I said, well, you know, really, I mean, if you want to jump on it right now, I, could, I guess I could actually input everything over the telephone. And I remember thinking like, Gee, I wonder if I'm even allowed to do it this way. I, I, <laughs> That's awesome. Something that had been talked about in my brokerage, and I said, uh, I can I can key everything in right now. Uh, I can email you the client consent to pull the credit bureau, and he's like, Yeah, I can print it, sign it, and email it back right now. I'm like, Okay. So I started typing that up and quickly emailed that to him, and uh, we built the whole application over the telephone. It was about an hour long telephone call. By the end of it. The whole file was built. The whole plan was established. We knew which lender we were going to, which product it was going to be happening. And I hit the submit button and it was done. And I remember sitting back going, wow, like an hour, an hour. And it's done from the initial phone call. And I embraced that and have have run with that and refined that uh, to the point that my goal is within the first 10 minutes of the conversation to have the client say something along the lines of, nobody's ever told me that before. You know, like it doesn't matter how many mortgages they've had, how many properties they've owned, you know, that, that's what I'm looking for. Wow, no, one, no one's ever given me that piece of information before. Let's move forward. And then within 15 minutes, ideally 20 at the most, date of birth, SIN number, everything is going in from this complete stranger who I've never spoken to previously. Right. And and again, within 45 to 60 minutes, we've built the initial framework. It's, it's, it's established enough that we know which lender we're going to, pretty good feeling about which product we're moving forward on. Sometimes there's a tweak to that later in the game. But again, hitting the submit button, off to the races. Right. That's such good. That's awesome. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm processing this because it's not how I currently do things. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back after I always listen to these interviews because I always get a lot from them the second time. And so I'm going to go back and definitely one of the things I'll be looking at is my initial application gathering process. So I, I think that's fantastic. And it allows you to be, obviously you can, you're very uh, productive with your time because you, you know, in that first hour, you've you got a lot done, you know, you're hang up the phone and you've got the application, you've got to sign consent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty awesome. So, and every broker has, has driven an hour, sat for two hours with a lovely couple, worked out a master plan with them, everything's figured out, driven an hour back home, been so excited about the file, sat for another half hour transferring all the data in, pulled up the credit reports, 
422-479 beacon scores. What? Yeah. How, where, where did that come from? Like every broker who's been in the game, even just a little while, has a story along those lines. And that is, as I say, the number one thing I wanted to avoid. That story, unfortunately, came about six months later for me. So I still wasn't a 100% dedicated telephone guy. But, you know, you have a few of those happen. And very quickly, you stop getting in your car and racing across the city to meet people. There isn't the time once you get busy enough to be doing that. And um, and it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you can't have an intelligent conversation with a client about what you can do for them if you don't have those credit reports and all their data up front. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've had people want to meet with me, and, and that's I usually require an application nine times out of ten before I'll even meet face-to-face because I, I just need to see where they're at. Because if it's really off, then you can deal with it you know, initially. But, yeah, there's still been times people have got through my defenses and I, you know, meet with them, pull their credit and go, Oh my goodness, you know, and you don't, you can still help them. You still serve them, but you, there's, you're obviously, it's a different conversation than if you, uh, once you know that up front. So that's right. You might be serving them two years from now. Right. So, okay. I'm going to, another part of the thing I like to talk about is diversifying your income. So there's been a lot of talk in our industry about sort of the need to diversify. There's commission, you know, pressure. So I want to ask your thoughts on diversification do you think it's something you're looking at doing if you're looking at doing it what are you going to do and if not why not uh, perhaps i'm a bit of a, a contrarian on this topic as well but um i i don't see a need for any broker really to be radically focused certainly uh, really even even lightly focused on diversifying the income per se you know, one of the things I struggle with in my own life is taking the advice that I'm giving to my clients, taking the advice that the clients are being given in the first place when they call me, and that is use an independent expert in that field. So I'm not going to become a licensed realtor, a certified financial planner, a licensed insurance agent. I'm not going to become any of those things. Because I think if you look across any industry and you look at the top 20, the top 100, the top 1,000 in that industry, it is an exceedingly rare individual that is operating in two different fields. And certainly, you're not going to find somebody who's in the top 100 of both disciplines. So could I make a little more money uh, selling additional insurance products or, you know, taking on wealth management. Sure, I suppose I could, but it's not about making money. It, it, you know, the money can never be the main driver. You know, so long as the basic needs are met, whatever's coming in on top of that, that's great. You know, that can go to the long-term wealth building plan. But to try and be a jack of all trades uh, when a client walks through the door is not who I want to be. I, I want to be able to introduce them to other independent experts who focus completely on that field so and and again I mean in doing that uh, like my my certified financial planner I I refer a lot of my clients to them Uh, I have a a couple different guys that I work with and I refer a lot of almost all my clients typically to them for an insurance review now maybe they've taken 
the life or the disability product that I'm offering because there are certain strategic reasons to take that product, i.e., you have no insurance whatsoever, you're a first-time buyer, you're the sole breadwinner in the family, you're putting a non-refundable $25,000 deposit on the line, and there's a half a million dollar mortgage that's got to be funded in six weeks. Well, you know, here's this insurance I'm putting in front of you that is fully refundable if you cancel it in the first two months anyway. You don't have any life insurance, and what happens between now and the closing date if something happens to you? So, you know, Sure, I put my insurance salesman hat on, I guess, in a situation like that, but I ultimately like to refer those people out to an independent expert who then gives them a, a different analysis because actually you know, they've got access to multiple different suppliers, just as I have. So I'm basically giving my client the same advice they were given that brought them to me. Mm-hmm. And in turn, that insurance, our certified financial planner typically that I'm dealing with, he winds up with new clients in his orbit that he then refers back to me. So I'm not taking a piece of his commission, whatever he makes, he makes, uh, and then he sends clients my way and same story. I'm not paying a, a referral fee back to him. We just trade leads back and forth. And again, I wind up so busy processing mortgage transactions, I can't imagine trying to learn another discipline on top of that. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. So, uh, another thing I find too, well, this I think you kind of already answered this, but so how do you run, a, you know, your mortgage practice, and how do you balance a mortgage practice and family? I know that you talked about it briefly, but uh, yeah, I mean, nineteen years, uh, nineteen years of marriage uh, later, uh, you know, we're still uh, still going strong. How can that be? Um, I guess an amazing wife, amazingly tolerant wife. Um, you know, I go back 20 years and we looked at each other and I said, I had a stay-at-home mom and I loved that. And she said, I had a working mom and I didn't love it all the time. And we sort of said, okay, well, you know, do you want to stay home with the kids for the next uh, few years or however long that turns into? And and so we had that division of labor in our household and uh, and we'd say to the kids, you know, Mom and dad could go both go work 35 hours a week each and, you know, you can do the daycare thing like the rest of the kids on the street or mom can stay home with you guys and dad can go work 70 hours a week. What do you think? And they were like, go to work, dad. Yeah, we'll, we'll miss you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love you and we'll see you later. And, yeah. You know, goodbye. And, um, and so, you know, that works. Um, Again, have I taken this uh, 80-hour workweek concept a little too far? Absolutely. Do I need to dial it back? Yes, I do. Um, and I don't know. You can re-interview me next year and see if I've gotten any further on that topic. But I'm absolutely learning how to say no to a lot of things, um, business-wise, that is, and uh, trying to say no a lot less on the family side. But But balance... You know, I hate the word. It's an exceedingly difficult thing for anybody to achieve. And, um, you know, if you want to be number one dad and you want to be number one broker, I'm not going to say they're mutually exclusive, but again, much like my comment about wearing two hats in, in industry, it's pretty tough to be a top performer all the way around. But I've had the benefit of being a pretty energetic person. And uh, yeah, I like my afternoon naps on the weekend, absolutely. But for the most part, uh, 
you know, when I'm home and I'm engaged with my family, I'm engaged with my family. And that's, it's, it's the quality of the time as much as it is the quantity of the time. Right. Okay. Awesome. So I want to move to the rapid fire questions now, and uh, you can answer these a little shorter answers. So what is the number one thing holding most mortgage brokers back from being successful? I would say themselves. We're all capable of a lot more than we think we are. And what one habit or thing do you think has made you successful over your six years? Um, tenacity. I mean, again, just the ability to, uh, to put the time in and, and probably ignoring the doubters. Not that there's a lot of doubters in my life. I don't surround myself with, with negativity. That's a, a bad game plan. Um, but the self-doubt. You know, when you're, when you're wondering if you can do it, stop wondering. You can do it. You'll be fine. Go do it. So like Nike said, just do it. Exactly. So do you have an internet resource software program that you use to make your business more successful? You know, the easy answer would be to circle back to Landcore or BC Online. Um, and, and they really are uh, amazing tools to have. Um, you know, to, to, to give the host uh, company a plug, uh, Dominion Lending has fantastic client manager software. And uh, I do try and tune in with that regularly because it, you know, it keeps me up to speed on my renewal dates, everything else, which is vital. I mean, you got to be contacting a client six months out these days because if you're not, the current lender is. Mm-hmm. If you could recommend one book. And, and as I say, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You keep going. I, I was going to ask you about the book, but go, go first. No, I was just going to say uh, on, on that note too. I mean, uh, it, again, it isn't even necessarily about your ability to move that client from one lender to another. You want to reach out to them early because at least you can facilitate a smoother renewal process. Even if it's with the existing lender, you still get in there. You have a little more client interaction. Anyway, back to the rapid fire part. Sorry. So, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, so if you could recommend a book for our listeners, what would it be? You know, one book that I've been circling back to has been the uh, Millionaire Real Estate Agent, the Gary Keller book. Uh, great book. Almost makes me want to be a realtor some days. Um, but there's a ton of principles in there that really apply to brokering. And I've, I've read the book twice. I've got it on audiobook. I've probably listened to it three times over the last three, four years. There's just a wealth of information in there that really does cross over and apply to brokering. Okay, that's, that's one I haven't read, so I'll have to check that one out. And so, where do you think our industry is headed? Where's the opportunity? I think that uh, you know, there's there's absolutely going to continue to be change. You know, everybody always uh, talks about pending changes in the industry, but uh, you know, within those changes, there's there's always opportunity. Are, are we going to lose lenders? There is commission going to be cut? Uh, compensation level is going to be cut? Potentially. But I think that even if those things happen, there's just that much more opportunity because you'll get a lot of people who will throw their hands in the air and leave the business. But ultimately, I think the biggest opportunity is is with renewals. I mean, what is it, you know, the statistics I've seen are something like 70% of clients sign with their existing lender without even shopping around. Mm-hmm. And again, that, that, that is a huge number. It's hundreds of thousands of people with whom we're not interacting. And again, maybe we're not winning that file, but maybe you're winning that client. 
Right, and, and then they become a referral source to you. Who's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now I want to jump to one of my favorite questions, the DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Absolutely. And so in the movie Back to the Future, is that car, the DeLorean, that can travel in time. So if you can imagine, if you can get in that car and you could choose one time to travel back to, and I'm going to set it at the, your first day as a mortgage broker, and you're going to travel back and visit yourself. And the idea is to give yourself three pieces of advice that would make your business better today. So what three things would you tell yourself if you could get in this DeLorean? Well, I'd probably stick to my 80-hour work week, work week routine right out of the gates, but I would I would fine-tune it a little differently, and I would set my hours of availability a little more firmly. Um, you know, whether it's eight till eight Monday to Friday or or something, um, because setting boundaries uh, for my own availability is not something that I really have done even to this point i'm still sort of just taking the baby steps on that topic and so as i say definitely uh setting the bar a little lower for availability i think would probably have been a smart move because once you get recognized for being the one that answers his phone at uh, 6 a.m sunday morning and 11 p.m saturday night you start getting a few extra calls uh, during those hours Mm -hmm. that's probably the first thing i'd do um, another second thing I'd say is uh, hire a licensed assistant sooner. And I, I stress licensed because I think that uh, it shows a certain level of dedication to the industry that that person has taken the time to become licensed. Um, there's a whole conversation, I guess, around whether you're training your future competition and you have to sort of address that. But, but as I say, sooner than I did you know, build it and they will come a little bit is kind of the mentality I think brokers should take because if you wait until you're so busy, you're overwhelmed, you're going to do a poor job uh, hiring the right assistant. I got very lucky. I got Mm -hmm. a fantastic assistant and it's uh, worked out brilliantly. And probably the last thing I'd say is have a structured, automated, detailed CRM system in place right from day one. And uh, that piece of advice was given to me, I think, in my first month brokering. I did follow up on it to some extent, but I didn't take it to heart as I should have. And uh, and so, you know, three, four years in, I'm still adding multiple fields to my uh, tracking uh, sheet and still following up on different things, which I should have had that framework built right from the very beginning. So I'd that, say those are probably the top three. Top three. So you'd have a structured 80-hour work week, which for some people, they'll fall out of their chair when they hear that, but have some limits on it. The second thing would be get a licensed assistant sooner before you're overwhelmed and unable to sort of be, you know make as good of a decision. And then the last would be to have a detailed CRM. And that one has been coming up a lot. And I've talked to a couple of brokers that are fairly new recently, and they kind of still don't see it. They're kind of like, well, I only have a handful of clients. And I agree with you that that's a, something that is a, such a huge missed opportunity if you don't start it now like just do it right from the beginning and you won't have to go back and try to un and try to fix it well the biggest part of that that third and final uh item that we talked about there is um is the habit so it's the habit of inputting you know as i say i've got an excel sheet that i use to track a lot of um, metrics and details and you know, some of the fields I've added, did they take the life insurance? Did they take the disability insurance? Because when you get that phone call from the client or the client's family member who's been, you know, disabled or what something's happened, 
uh, you want to have that answer at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. Um, is the mortgage insured? If so, which insurer? And make sure you're detailing that out. And having all of that data at your fingertips is very, very helpful. You know, when they're porting that mortgage over three years later to a new property, which insurer was it with? And it saves you, you know, uh, 15 minutes of tracking down exactly which insurer it was with. And just, as I say, a number of those little things, but creating those habits of inputting that data when you've only got one deal closing in the month, it's a lot easier than trying to create those new habits when you suddenly have, you know, three deals a, a week closing. It becomes much more difficult to to break in, the, as I say, to break the old habits and form new ones. Mm-hmm. So it's a, l- a lot of it's just about setting proper habits right from the beginning. Exactly. Well, Dustin, I have really enjoyed this interview today, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to get a lot of value from it. If people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Uh, my personal website is uh, dustinwoodhouse.ca, and my broker-to-broker blog is found at ourexpert.ca. And if any of our listeners are looking for any of the links that we talked about or links to Dustin's website, they can go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. There's show notes there. They can check out um, all of the notes. Dustin, I've really appreciated your time, and I hope you rock the rest of your year. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, you do the same. The only podcast for brokers by brokers. I Love Mortgage Brokering will inspire you to up your mortgage business. Join your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip, and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing, since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.